beginning of verse 17. If you don't have your Bibles here, there's Bibles that are underneath the pews that you're welcome to grab and you're welcome to keep them as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time to be here to, to worship you together as the body of Christ this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would meet us here this morning and teach us from your holy word. We love your word and the power that comes from your word, the way that you use your word to cause us to see you and to cause us to see ourselves and to be changed, Lord, as your Holy Spirit works in our lives. We're thankful for the gospel of John. What a joy it is to study these first beginning chapters in this great book. And we just look forward to looking at our text this morning and seeing what you would have for us. We just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you noticed when we sang that last song, um, the, the original words to that song were written in like, I think it said like 569 A.D., it's just radical to think about that, isn't it? Um, Christians, 1,500 years ago, being there in different parts of the world, singing a, a song like that, um, a song that, that we continue to sing today, a song that points to Christ as our willing sacrifice, our Redeemer. Just um, a, a great section there where it says holy jesus grant us grace in that sacrifice to place all our trust for life renewed pardon sinned and promised good grant us grace to sing your praise round your throne through endless days ever with the sons of light blessing honor glory might and can you just imagine can you imagine christians 1500 years ago and over these last 1,500 years, singing a song like that and just thinking upon Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us, the shame in which he bore, the sins that were placed upon him, saying words like, like our finished sacrifice, saying words like, grant us grace to sing your praise. Just grant us grace to sing your praise. We just want to. We just want to praise you together. No amplification, nothing like that. Back when they sang, and they're just there in a church, or there in a home, or there under a tree. God, just grant us grace to sing your praise round your throne through endless days. We just we want to do it forever. We want to sing praises to you forever. Even with the sons of light, blessing, honor, glory, might. Why would they sing those words, blessing, honor, glory, might? The reason is because they knew who he was. They know who he is. They had come to know Christ as their Savior, just as we have come to know Christ as our Savior as Christians here this morning. And part of the way that they came to know him is through passages like the one before us this morning. You see in in our passage this morning that it comes from the Gospel of John in chapter 5. And in the first 16 verses of the Gospel of John in in, in chapter 5, you you see that Jesus goes and he heals this man who has been an invalid, one, one paralyzed, one 
able, unable to get out of his bed for 38 years. 38 years he laid there in this bed, unable to help himself. Being in a place where to get from one spot to another, he either had to rely upon someone to carry him, or he had to pull himself with his arms, and obviously not able to move very fast as he would drag himself along the the dirt, along the rocks, along whatever it is that he was going on to try to get from place to place. But then Jesus met him. Jesus found him. Multitudes of people who are there who are um, sick or have disease or, or handicapped or maimed. But he specifically goes to this man and he heals him. Take up your bed and walk. Takes up his bed. His legs are restored. He... He goes to the temple to worship. And Christ meets him there. And as we look at the story, what we found was that those who were there saw him. And they saw him take up his bed and carry his bed and walk. And their biggest concern wasn't that here's this man that legs didn't work, that had withered away completely. And now they've been totally restored and he's walking. Their greatest concern was that he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And thus working on the Sabbath. How can you carry your bed on the Sabbath? You're breaking the law. And the man's just saying, I just, I'm just obeying the one that healed me. He told me, take up your bed and walk. I took up my bed and I'm, I'm walking. Well, in verse 16 of John chapter 5, it says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Just incredible words here. For this reason, they persecuted him. They persecuted Christ, and they sought to kill him. You look, and and here it is, the the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they're looking, saying, you've done this on the Sabbath? You've healed on the Sabbath? You told him to take up his bed and, and, and to walk on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, answers them in verse 17. And he says, my, my father has been working until now. And I have been working. You, you say don't, don't do anything on the Sabbath. You're angry because this man took up his bed after 38 years and he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath. But my father, he's been working until now. All along, God created all that exists. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And so Jesus is using an argument with him that with these people saying, my father, he's been Continuing to work up until this time. Until now. And I've been working as well. He places himself in a position of equality with the Father. We have been working from the very beginning of time. 
From the time where I gave man Sabbath rest, we continue to work. Now, as, as we look at this, it, it, that particular verse tells us a lot. As far as the deists who would look at God and say, okay, God, God created everything. He's the great watchmaker. He created all that exists and created all of it and then just set it in motion and just lets it go and is waiting to see what's going to happen. Uh, that particular theology um, is refuted by a passage like this. It's not that God set things in motion and put it all together and said, okay, let's just see what happens now. And, 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 and people and nature and all that exists is, is functioning in the way that he did it as a great watchmaker, but he's just back and, and, and watching all that, that takes place. It's not the case at all. We, we see a God who holds all things together. He's working. He's creating and changing people's hearts, and he's causing them to be able to see him. He's, he's causing his word to affect our lives this morning. He illuminates himself to us. He convicts us of sin. He reveals himself to the world. He shows his glory amongst the nations. God works in incredible ways. He holds all things together. If he wasn't there, it would not continue to exist as it is. It would just implode upon itself if God were not there holding these things together. And, and so when you look and, and, and you even ask yourselves questions like, well, where was God when this happened? Where was God during that hurricane? Where was God at 9-11? I, I pray that, that we would not think like that. Not like the deist that, that assumes that God is back and just watching what's taking place and, 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 and he's not involved at all. We, we serve a God who is completely involved. We serve a God who's in control when hurricanes come. He's in control and he's sovereign and he rules when people do very wicked things. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. He still promises us that he is working all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called. He's working in incredible ways through it all. We serve a God who tells us, my father has been working until now and I've been working. Therefore, verse 18, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They sought all the more to kill him. He broke the Sabbath, but also you called God your father. You, you said, my father has been working until now. You said that you've been working with him. You're, you're making yourself equal with God. Christ makes it unmistakably clear to the Jews. And us today, as we read these words, that he was there with God in the very beginning. That he's equal with him. As we look at this and we see this, notice that Christ doesn't correct them. 
He doesn't say, oh, you, you misunderstood what I was saying. I wasn't saying that I was God or anything like that. I wasn't saying that I was equal with him. He doesn't redo that at all. He, we'll go on through the text, and you'll see that over and over again, he affirms his deity. In fact, what you'll find as we go through the next several chapters and throughout this book is over and over again, he's saying things and doing works that would make it so that we would know without a doubt that he is God that he is our Savior, that he is our Lord, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We see that in hearing these things, their response is, we want to kill you. You you look at it in John chapter 8, where Jesus says to the people, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to throw at him. They took up thrones to throw at him. See, they knew exactly what it is that he was saying. Before Abraham was, I am. I am. I'm God. And they know what he's saying. We see it again in John 10, 30. Where Jesus says, I and my Father are one. And again it says, and then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Pick up the stones. Their immediate response to Jesus proclaiming himself to be equal with the Father, to be God himself, to be one with God the Father, is get stones. Let's kill him. How can we kill him? For someone to present himself as God, if it's not true, it's considered to be incredibly blasphemous and even worthy of death. But if Christ is God, as he said, this truth, it's the most glorious, praiseworthy fact to ever be revealed to man. For God became man that, we, that he might fulfill all righteousness and that he might die on the cross for our sins. I mean, it is just the most incredible thing to be able to see the deity of Christ. Their response is, pick up stones, let's kill them. But we look at this and we see what he says and we see what he does throughout the rest of his life and what scripture says in its entirety and our response isn't to pick up stones, is it? It's to fall down and to worship him. We read in the Nicene Creed. We can think of those for all of these centuries memorizing this. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, was made man, was crucified also under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. I believe in one, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, 
who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And they just, they know that. They memorize it. One Lord Jesus, only begotten, Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom, by whom all things were made. They, they know who he is. We know who he is. In verse 19 of John chapter 5, Jesus answers and says to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do for whatever but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So he continues. I do nothing of myself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Christ is saying, Truly, truly, you, you need to understand this. I do what the Father does. Not only am I one with the Father, but I do what the Father does. If you go down to verse 30 of John chapter 5, again, Christ says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Christ does not ever act independently of the Father. We hear him say, I and my Father are one. We see him say in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so he presents himself to them as, I'm equal with him. What he does, I do. I always do the things that are his will. I do the things that he sent me to do. And he goes through scripture making it very clear, I and the Father are one. In verse 20 it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. He's going to show you even greater works than these. So that your response is marveling, being amazed. I look and and you see throughout history, Christ's work in just incredible ways. The Father loves the Son. He loves the Son. You think of all that's created and all that exists and you, you could look and and see all of creation and think, God is, is just, he's amazing. I mean, look at what he's made. Look at the order in which he has made everything. And we can look and we can see his power and all that he has created and his creativity. But when you look at Christ, you're able to see the love of God. Here in this passage, Jesus, in speaking about his father, says, the Father, he loves the Son. 
He loves the Son. Here Jesus is creator of all that exists, the one who has existed from eternity past. And he's talking with these people who are so concerned about the Sabbath, and he says, let me tell you about my Father. He loves the Son. He loves me. He shows me all things that he himself does. There's this unity that is there between God the Father and God the Son to where we're together on all things. There's a plan that's there and we're together on all things. There's nothing that's kept back from Christ. We see that, that during this time of his incarnation, there's certain things that Christ laid aside as far as I'm becoming fully man. But he never ceased to be God. He never stopped being God. And so you look at this and his response is, Father loves the Son. And show, he'll show him greater works than these. That you may marvel. That you would marvel. You look and you, and you see what God does in, in, in history and in Christ is saying, he's showing you through me such things that ought to make you marvel. To look at him and just be amazed at who he is. I mean, you you, you think of the power of Christ. Seeing waves that are just pounding upon a little boat and just... To a place where these fishermen are thinking, we are going to die for sure. And Jesus just speaks a word and just calms the storm completely. Waves just are removed. It goes down to just rippling. You notice that when that happens, the, the disciples don't say, wow. Look at the way that God worked through him. I mean, he just said a word and, and the waves went away. Look at what God just did through him. That's not the response. The response is, who is this man that even the sea, the wind, they obey him? Who is it? Who, who is he that nature just obeys him? He just says something and it happens. You saw when Jesus changed water into wine. Changes water into wine, and John says in John two eleven, this is the first of the miraculous signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and it manifested His glory. It manifested His glory. He doesn't say He changed water into wine so you could see how the Father would work through a prophet. He just says. It manifested his glory. He made water turn to wine and his glory was just revealed. The disciples, they believed in him. They believed. You see him multiply loaves and fish. You see his omniscience when he goes to Nathaniel and tells him like, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you. 
You see his omniscience there when he says to the woman, it's right that you say that you're not married, as we studied just a few weeks ago. You've had five husbands. One you're living with is not your husband. You see in Scripture that he knows those that did not believe. He knows who it is that would betray him. You see his omnipresence where he's there. He tells his disciples before he leaves earth. He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm always, always with you. We see over and over again his deity revealed to us. Clearly, clearly revealing himself to be God himself. He tells you these things. He reveals these things that you might marvel. To me, I marvel, I marvel at the fact of like verses like, like Mark 10, 45, where it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You marvel at that. I, I mean, I, when you start to look at yourself and you look and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. Like, I was born in sin. I've sinned. I've committed all of these sins. You look in the mirror of God's law and you look and it says things like, don't covet. It's one of the things that we're working on with our kids. You hear them say, I'm, what, what sin did you just commit? And our little four-year-old coveting Jonathan's Legos. And so we go through, like, don't covet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's Legos. You shall not covet them. Don't covet it. And so we're, we're working on it, and it's just natural. I mean, we got Jonathan a toy. His birthday was last Friday, and both of our kids born on the same day, last Friday. So Natalie opens up a present. Jonathan opens up a present. Um, Natalie gets her presents, is excited, and then Jonathan opens up his big present, and her response is, I want to be able to play with that. Can I play with that? I want to play with that. <laughs> Are you going to share? Are you going to share, Jonathan? I want to play with that. I mean, she's just forgotten about the killer dolls that we got her. I want that. And you get to see it. We didn't have to teach her to do that. Just a part of it. But you go through from there. We we covet, don't we? Just take one sin. There's times where we look, I I wish I had that. I long for that. I want that. We fail to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. Since you've been here in this church, you have failed to love him with all of your heart heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. You fail to love your neighbor as yourself. And yet, in looking at that and considering the result of that, for the wages of sin is death, or God talking about the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God that comes upon people, knowing what it is that we deserve as far as eternity and hell, knowing that we've sinned against a holy God and he's just and he's right to send us to eternity apart from him in hell. And then to think, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. 
These ones that see a miraculous work take place that just clearly reveals like he's God. They pick up stones to throw at him, to kill him. And yet it is unto these that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. It's to you that he didn't come to be served, but to serve you. To serve me. To give his life as a ransom for many. I'll tell you, you, you look and it ought to make us marvel. It ought to make us look and say, who's like him? Who's like him? A God that creates all that exists, that speaks things into existence. A God that creates a universe and he's involved with every part of it. He makes man in his own image. Sin comes and and, and, and man falls into sin, and, and you look at these covenants that are made over and over again with his people. He makes for himself his own special people, and they break the covenant over and over again. They break the covenant, and they break it, and they break it. And there's all these other people that are just making up gods for themselves and carved images and, and, and worshiping animals and everything else. And you look at God where he just has this great love for the world that he sends us his only son, that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And you just look at it and you say, there's marvel. I mean, to to, to be in in heaven for all eternity and just to to be there a million years from now and to be singing praises with those that, that, that have been saved 1,500 years ago or those that were saved 2,000 years ago, those in the whole time of the Old Testament that were saved during that Era, and you look at all who have been saved, all that have been washed as white as snow, and their sins have been hurled into the depths of the sea, and they're clothed with robes of righteousness, and his blood has paid the price for all of us, and, and we're there singing praises to him, and I'll tell you that we are going to be there, and, and we will just marvel. He didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Father loves the Son, shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these so that you and I would marvel. It's not so that we would look and say, "Eh, that's good, I guess. Figure I should be a Christian. My parents are Christians. My grandparents are Christians. I, I should probably be a Christian too. That's not it at all. It is so that you would marvel. So you would praise him, for you would live for him. So you would take your life and say, my life's a living sacrifice to be given unto him. Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. It just gets better, doesn't it? I mean, as Christ goes on, okay, think of the father. He raises the dead. Who else can raise the dead but God? No one. He raises the dead. He gives life to them. And even so, the Son gives life to whomever he wills. He quickens them to life. Christ quickens and gives life to whomever he wills. He takes us who were spiritually dead and he quickens us to life. He takes those who are physically dead, like Lazarus and He gives them the ability to come forth. He quickens them to life again. At the final resurrection, he'll cause all those who have been saved by him to be resurrected to everlasting life and to spend eternity with him in heaven. He quickens those who are dead 
to come to life, and they come to life. Not just physically, not just in the resurrection, but us who were dead in our sins and trespasses. Christ says, I also have the ability to quicken them, to make them alive, to be born again for us as Christians. God has done that. Christ has done that for you. He has quickened you and made you alive in him. Jesus says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I can give you water that makes it so you never thirst again and it springs up into everlasting life. I can do that. I can give you that kind of water. I'm God himself. I and the Father are one and I can quicken you and make you alive and you'll never thirst again. Christ says, don't labor for the food that perishes, but the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. I can give you food that makes it so that you endure into everlasting life. In John six thirty three, for the bread of, of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who is the bread? Who is that manna? It is Christ. He comes and gives life to the world. The Father raises the dead and gives life to them. Even so, the Son gives life to whom he wills. He gives more manifestation manifestation of his deity here. And then again, in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Who judges? The Son. You look in Matthew 25. Let me just read this for you. It's familiar to most of you. Matthew 25, 31. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he'll set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left and then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Who is it that separates the sheep from the goats? It's Christ, it's the Son of God. In Acts 17 and verse 30, it tells us that God commands everyone, all men, everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has, he, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead cause him to rise from the dead, and he will judge all. In 2 Thessalonians 1.7 and following, tells us the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In verse 23 of John chapter 5, that all should honor the Son as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Why does this matter? Why does a verse like this matter? These verses. Because there is a possibility that you could fall into that category of, I don't know, like if I believe in Jesus. I mean, 
This whole Trinity thing is hard to comprehend. God the Father is fully God. God the Son is fully God. God the Holy Spirit is fully God. They're three, yet they're one. I mean, what the Jehovah's Witnesses say over here, they say he's not God, that he's a prophet, but he's not God. Or the Mormons, they say he's just one of many gods, but not the one and only true God. Or there's others that just say, well, I, I, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God, but I just, to me, Jesus is just a good man. To me, Jesus is just a prophet. Is, is that an option? Is it an option to say, well, to me, I, I think that there's many roads that lead to heaven. There's all different kinds of religions, and there's just, everybody gets to God in one way or another. It could be through Buddhism. It could, it could be through, through Islam. It could be through Hinduism. It could be through New Age religion. Everybody gets to God in some way. You don't have to believe in Jesus. And you'll hear that over and over. Do you have to believe in Jesus? You'll hear people say, like, oh, I don't know. Hate to say that. And yet, what do we find here? Who is it that judges? It's Jesus. Who will judge? Jesus will judge. All should honor the Son just in the exact same way that they honor the Father. And if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father who sent him. There is no choice but to worship Christ as far as having everlasting life. If you say he's just a prophet, you do not honor the son, for he says that he's God. If you just say he's just one of many gods, you don't honor him as you honor the father. You don't honor the son. In Philippians 2, 9, it says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus goes from there and says, Most assuredly I say to you in verse 24, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Do you believe Christ? Do you believe him when he says, whosoever believes in me would not perish but have everlasting life? Is your faith and your hope in him, do you honor him? Do you recognize that he will be the one who judges you? Do you recognize he'll be the one that separates the sheep from the goats? Do you you recognize that he's the one that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord? Truly, truly, most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me, it believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. The claims that are made here by Christ are magnificent. He's talking with these people who are so concerned that he's told someone to take up his bed and walk on the Sabbath. And then Jesus just reveals himself so clearly as the creator of the universe, as God himself, the one who's to be honored and to be worshipped and to be lived for. 
He who honors him honors the Father also. They're one. We look at this, and this is just one section, just one section amongst the entirety of Scripture that reveals the deity of Christ. To me, it's clear. To those guys, it was clear. So clear that they wanted to kill him. May we respond properly. Rather than picking up stones, may we just fall down and worship him. He's our Lord. He's our God. He's our Savior. He's our friend. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. We marvel. We just marvel. The creator of this universe became man, fulfilled all righteousness, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and has made it so that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. We marvel, we marvel that we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace. By faith in you, we're saved. We're mar- we marvel that you, you have the ability to cause people to rise again from the dead, and you have the ability to change us, to make us new creations in you, to cause us to be born again, to cause us to become alive. You have the ability to do that. We marvel at you, Christ. May we find ourselves throughout this day and throughout this week coming to a place of marveling at our Savior, our God, our Lord, our friend, over and over and over again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.